Welcome to another episode of Digging Deeper, a Perimeter Church podcast that takes what we're teaching on Sunday mornings and does exactly what the name of the podcast says. We want to dig just a little deeper, try to hit some things that we haven't been able to hit in our sermons. And so I'm joined here today again uh, by Caleb Click and by Bob Cargo as uh, we have preached these first three sermons of the series, uh, starting in Exodus 16 and um, ending up in in 17 as Bob finished up uh, just this past Sunday um, in Exodus 17, the latter half of 17. And so we're gonna. Here's what we're gonna do today. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna camp out in those two chapters primarily. We'll look towards the end of our time together. We'll look towards where we're headed and what's to come in this series. And there is much more to come, but there's so much packed into these two chapters of Exodus 16 and 17. We felt like, well, this is a good thing to do uh, in terms of just mainly camping out here, see what God has for us. And uh, as we often do, uh, really what we do every time we get together to record one of these is we probably spend at least an hour before we ever hit record just sharing thoughts and ideas and uh, gleanings from what we've studied in our own personal study and what led us to preach what we preached. And um, I'll tell you this, I hope we can replicate the conversation we just had for the last hour. And I'm kind of wondering why we didn't just, why didn't I, I just say, hey, let's hit record on that. And because uh, it was really good and um, super conversational, uh, everything from insights into the word to just even our personal um how we're personally processing through some of this. And so we'll try to do that again uh, without it feeling too rehearsed because we want it to be something that is uh, conversational and straight from the heart. So uh, we'll aim for that, and uh, hopefully hopefully, it'll be a blessing to you who are listening and joining us. So, guys, here's where I want to start us. You know, we think about the book of Exodus. I think one of the reasons that um, so many people keep coming back to Exodus over and over again. It's it's one of the uh, probably best and, and well-known books in the Bible, right? When we're little kids, one of the first things that we're taught about is the story of the either of the Passover, of the splitting of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Israelites. We, we, we know about the Ten Commandments, you know, and, and so many of the stories that happen in the book of Exodus are stories that we tell time and time again. And you think about the Old Testament, typically, uh, if we say to someone, hey, you know, we're, let's talk about the Old Testament, they're not going to go to, oh, yeah, let's talk about Nahum, right? Or let's talk about Obadiah, right? They're going to say, oh, okay, what are you talking about, Exodus, Jonah? You know, stories that are more familiar. But one of the reasons I would say, and you certainly y'all can chime in on this, that Exodus is one that we keep coming back to is not just because the stories themselves are compelling, which they are, but what we get in the book of Exodus is just this beautiful microcosm of the greater story of redemption that God is telling for the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so we get this, uh, this beautiful picture of what's happening with the Israelites, and then we see it played out with the church, even into today, of, of what we're seeing God do with them, he's done and is doing with us through Christ and his church. And that Jesus is this uh, true and greater Moses, and that the church is this uh, true and greater Israel that has been uh, redeemed by the Passover lamb, the once and fi- final Passover lamb, uh, Jesus himself. And so there's just so much rich gospel 
um, truth that comes out of the book of Exodus. And so one of those things I want to pull out for us to start on first is this, wilderness. Wilderness is a theme that is not just about Exodus and the Israelites going into the wilderness after they cross the Red Sea, uh, but it's a theme throughout the Bible. And it's actually a, a really important theme for the church today to understand when we read in Exodus about the Israelites being in the wilderness, what are we to take and glean from that as we try to apply this idea of wilderness to our lives today and to the church today? So uh, let me throw that out there first. Um, what would y'all say when we start talking about wilderness? What, do you, what, what, are those, what are the first things we want people to understand that when the Bible talks about wilderness for the church today, what are we talking about? You know, there, there is in the New Testament the theme that uh... – Israel entering the promised land was entering the land of rest, and uh, that in in the book of Hebrews, for example, that land of rest is uh, not only heaven eventually, where there's perfect rest, but we do we do find uh, rest in Christ. Right, and uh, and so there's that idea that the wilderness is life in this fallen world. Right, and so we we can obviously at times in our lives in which there's Deeper suffering, uh, greater suffering compared to those around us or compared to what we've experienced in the past, suffering is at a higher level. Uh, and so we think, oh, man, I'm really in a wilderness compared to other times. But in a sense, this whole experience on earth uh, before the return of Christ is you know, our life in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah, which is – we see that affirmed in Scripture in the New Testament, right, where – the Apostle Peter tells us that we're exiles in a foreign land, right? As if to say, hey, you're in the wilderness. You're not where you're ultimately going to be. You're, uh, there's this imagery that we get in Exodus that is, that is actually this foreshadowing of the greater story of redemption where uh, we're redeemed. We've been brought through the Red Sea, if you will, of, of, you know, of salvation, but we're in this we're in this place this this wilderness where uh, we're getting foretastes of of what's to come, right? And this is what we talked about a little bit with the manna and and the and the water from the rock, and we're getting these foretastes of what's to come. But we're not there. We're not where ultimate rest is, and uh, but we're journeying to the promised land. And so all of life is wilderness, right? And that's what you're saying, Bob. But then, of course, we have these things that happen to us in our life where it feels like, because we can get we can get lured into believing that this is my home, and that this is not the wilderness. And so then, when something really hard comes along, and we lose a loved one, or we get a horrible diagnosis, or whatever it may be, we go, "Man, God's leading me into the wilderness." Which, yeah, you can say that, and that's not a wrong thing to say. But we sometimes forget. No, we're always. We're always in the wilderness. Caleb, your your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think that's one of the main reasons that the, the text that I, I taught a, was it two weeks ago now, Exodus 17, right. that it keeps coming up is that clearly Paul and the writer of Hebrews, they look at God's people and they see us as a wilderness people. Like it's a, it's a picture of the already and the not yet of us 
in the process of being sanctified. We've been redeemed, and God is preparing us for the glory that's to come, in the same way that God is preparing the people of Israel to be a faithful people. Like, all these things that are happening in our, our text have been are there because God's preparing them for the covenant at Sinai. He's preparing them to be uh, his treasure possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation, which means they need to be a people who depend upon him and trust in him for everything. Well, it's the same way with us. Like God brings us through this life with the goal, not of making us happy so much now, not that there's not joy now, but the goal is not that we would have a happy, comfortable life here, but that we would be prepared for life with him. He, he wants to make us fit for heaven. And I, I'm going to butcher this. Sibs has some great line where he talks about, like, you know, we sometimes deceive ourselves into thinking that uh, we can, oh, golly, I'm going to butcher it. It's essentially live like hell <laughs> and make our way to heaven. Mm. And God sometimes has to, suffering has to come so that we would become people who actually desire heaven and trust the Lord in the midst of those trying times. Yeah. Um, I've butchered it completely, but it's something to that effect. That's all right. It's really it's so, good when he says So it. this was Richard Sibbs? Yeah. He yeah. said, live like hell? I didn't know that. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. not, in that, not in that exact way. So let me see if I can find it. <laughs> that would be great. All right, while the, you're the, looking that the up. The Puritans had a whole lingo that I don't oh, know. Yeah. Oh, right. the, he does use the word hell. I will. That yeah, I can confirm. Yeah. You remember that part. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. All right, so while you're looking that up, here's I want to chase a rabbit trail with that. Um, what are you, all right, so, so I'll just give you an example. Um after I preached the first sermon of the series, uh, a person came up to me afterwards um, and was challenging me on my take of, or, yeah, let's say my take, uh, our take, and really the, the history of the church's take, <laughs> if I can be that bold, on this understanding of what God's doing with Israel and how it's foreshadowing what he's doing with the church in the grander story of redemption. And this person's... Um, uh, beef with me, so to speak, was to say, um, God doesn't leave. She, oh, oh, I said she. It was it was a female. She said, <laughs> she said, um, and I, uh, you know, I've, I've actually prayed for this woman. I want to, I want her to. I don't want to be at odds with her, obviously. But she said, God doesn't lead us into the wilderness. His desire is to redeem us from all of the wilderness, and what you just taught was wrong. And so we had a we had a fairly lengthy conversation after the after the sermon. But her big thing was if we have enough faith and if we pray with enough faith and expectancy, he's going to rescue us from all of life's wildernesses. He's going to heal us of all of our diseases right now. Um and the only reason he doesn't is is because we don't pray with enough faith. It's because we don't believe strongly enough that he can get us out of the wilderness that we're in. And, and I tried to say kindly to her, hey, I've certainly others have voiced that um, interpretation of the Bible before to me, and I just need you to know that I disagree with that because that's not what I see being consistent, um, consistently taught throughout the pages of Scripture. And so the reason I was chasing this trail a little bit is because I think it's important because I think even if we don't espouse a wholehearted prosperity gospel theology like this, like this person did, does, we can actually subtly begin to believe that that theology, maybe we don't, maybe it's not our formal theology, but deep down we think that, oh yeah, he does want to rescue me from all wildernesses right 
now and we 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 have this already not yet reality that we sometimes struggle with right where of course god is the rescuer of course he's the healer of course there is a promised land and yes he is leading us there and in his sovereignty sometimes he brings deliverance now sometimes he brings healing now in physical ways sometimes he rescues fully now but what we see most of the time and we want to believe him for those things of course my my um uh, benediction every time I do it is now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. How do we reconcile that though with the reality that God constantly takes us into into the wilderness? What what are where is the balance there? You know? That actually flows. So I, I was looking up that Richard Sips quote and I found it and it actually flows exactly into this. So I, I think as I was listening to you tell that, I immediately started thinking about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, where he's talking about how he has this thorn in his flesh right. and he's begging God to take it away. Like there's an example of somebody begging the Lord and then the Lord says, no, I'm not taking it away. I'm not going to deliver you from this now. Right. And the reason for it is because he doesn't want him to boast. Yep. It's there as a check against his sin to make him depend upon the grace of God. And God tells him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, the wilderness is the place where we discover the, the full depth of our weakness, but also the, the, the sufficiency of God uh, and his supply in Jesus Christ. And that's what you're seeing, you know, in Exodus 15, 16, 17, and on, is God keeps showing himself sufficient even in the places of his people's weakness. And and Sibs, like his the way he talks about that concept is, is that believers, while we're in this life, we need to be bruised so that we would uh, come to the one who is the healer, and that's Jesus Christ. And he says this thing where he says it's it's better to go, uh, it is better to go bruised to heaven than sound to hell. And then later, he says uh, there are those who take up a hope of their own that Christ will suffer them to walk in the ways of hell. So there's what I meant, and yet bring them to heaven. Whereas all comfort should draw us near to Christ, otherwise it is a lying comfort, either in itself or in our application of it. Essentially, God places us in those situations because he is pulling us from our love of this world into a love of Christ right, right. that pervades all things and carries us through this wilderness world. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Bob, what are you yeah. thinking over there? Yeah, I, very much uh, the same line. There's another Puritan who uh, put it this way, that our sufferings wean us from an inordinate love of mm. this world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I understand um, why this lady might say what she said, because there are, frankly, so many teachers out there who teach that. Right. It's just not on any page of the New Testament that I can see. Right, you know? right, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, whether you look at the story of Jesus, the story of his apostles, one story after another, there's trial, there's tribulation, there's problem. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You know, there's going to be hardship, there's going to be suffering. Uh, Apostle Paul even said, everyone who wants to be godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So there are all kinds of wildernesses that we're going to experience if wilderness means, you know, circumstantial suffering and hardship. So the scriptures never never teach us for a moment that we're going to escape all of that in this world. Um, and if anything, if and not, not if anything, but furthermore, not only do the scriptures not teach us that, 
what they do teach us is they show us how it is the very wilderness that God leads us into as the uh, the arena, if you will, where God does his greatest work within us. Mm. Um, and and that's we we don't get the way the way it is, and this is why I did this with the Israelites. We don't get the sufficiency of God for us until we're in the wilderness, right? And even the Israelites struggled to to get it, right? I mean, and we're just like they are. I mean, we we have that same disposition of of unbelief, of selfishness, of self sufficiency, of doubting. All of it's still within us in our DNA. And but we don't we don't see that he is the manna for our souls until we're in a, p- a place where we have nowhere else to turn but to that right and 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 that's not I want to I want to be careful in saying that because it's easy for a pastor to sit here and say that when you're really suffering when you're really going through the hell of life. Uh, it can be really easy to listen to my words right now and just go, oh yeah. I mean, of course, that's that's the trite little pastorisms that they have, and it's like, no, no, no. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over the reality of how hard the wilderness of this life can be. Um, and and really, as we said at the opening of the podcast, to gloss over that this life is wilderness. Um, but in it, God is doing just this incredible work of teaching us, teaching us how to, to be sustained in who he is for us. Uh, and sometimes, and it's beautiful when he does, sometimes he says, you know what? I'm going to give you water from the rock and I'm going to drop manna from the sky. And we go, oh my goodness, you're, you're answering prayers I haven't even prayed. Thank you. And other times he says, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to let you continue to be thirsty and and want, you know? And I think one of the greatest comforts in that is that this God, God leads us into the wilderness. You know, like in Exodus 17, it says that they they the commandment of the Lord brought them to Rephidim. Like his commandment brought them to the place where there was no water. That was right. intentional, right? right. Yep. So he led them there and to a place where they were going to have want. Uh, he wanted them to call on him. But I think one of the, the big things is that the God who is with us is is the one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, we think of Jesus as our great mm-hmm. high priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are. He's been in the wilderness where he's tempted to doubt, to, to wonder if God is there, but one who, in every respect, while having been tempted, was without sin. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, we're, we have a Savior in Jesus who understands exactly what it is like to go through the wilderness mm. and who has already passed victorious through that test, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he's not indifferent to our needs. He knows our sorrows. Like when his church is struck, you think about the words he says to Paul when he says, Paul, Paul, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Like the persecution of the church, their, their pain is his own. Yep. And that's the kind of Savior we have, which I think should give us great hope as we're making our way through uh times of trial and tribulation and and we're in need of knowing we have a tender-hearted Savior who is just as tender now as he was when he was here on earth and is interceding for us constantly and working for our good. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think of 
the promises of the 23rd Psalm that our shepherd is going to be with us through all these things, you know, but the 23rd Psalm does not paint the picture of just rosy circumstances all the time. You know, the sheep have to be led to the quiet waters and the green pastures, and they still go through the valley of the shadow of death. And, um, but our shepherd is with us and that's the comfort, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, the lady who, who spoke with you, I think we have to be careful to do this, though, and that is affirm what she yearns for because we are made for a reality that Absolutely. is without suffering. 100%. And yes. that is right back to the series that was just finished yeah. on heaven and the new yeah. heavens and the new earth. That's what we're made for. It's what we yearn for. It's what we seek. But just as was preached in this last series, that's the, the great thing of the new heavens and the new earth that there, there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain, and he wipes away every tear there. Right. Uh, and so we get a down payment of that here, but we right. don't get the whole thing. And to me, that picture that Paul uses, that term, even though we have a down payment of the age to come, is a great picture. Yeah. We have a portion of the reality of the supernatural that's broken into time and space. He really is with us, really does give supernatural peace, really does provide and deliver, but it's not a perfection. Yeah. You know, uh, and so it gives us hope, but we're not to have an overrealized eschatology, so to right. speak. <laughs> sure, that's a good way of saying it. And and we pray, we pray with expectancy, and we pray with fervor that God would uh, give us more and more droplets of that kingdom that's going to be in full, right? Like so that we do pray for healing, we do pray for deliverance and restoration, and He gives it, and sometimes He withholds it, and we. we as finite minds trying to figure out the infinite sovereignty of God, we we are perplexed by that oftentimes. But I think about Hebrews 11, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the chapter mm-hmm. that we call the Hall of Fame of Faith, and yet after he's recounted, after the author of Hebrews has recounted, you know, the faith of some of those very early um, figures in the Bible, you know, he's talked about Abel's offering to God. He's talked about Noah. He's talked about Abraham and Sarah. And uh, and then he pauses, and then he says this, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then he goes on to talk about Jacob and um, and Moses and so many uh, so many more. And, and he's making this point as if to say, look, these are the ones that I'm holding out before you, church, as those who exhibited great faith, great faith, um, faith that you should mimic, the models of faith. And they did not get in this life what they longed for, but they did get it. It was in the next, you know, it, it was in the life to come. It was in uh, what was after this wilderness. And so one of the questions I think that's just so important to ask ourselves is not so much is there going to be wildernesses or not going to be wilderness, but the question is, what is my faith? What does it look like in the wilderness? How is it a robust faith that longs for different circumstances? That's fine. And prays for those things to be different, but ultimately rests secure in who Christ is for us in the midst of the wilderness. Um, that he is our manna, that he is our rock, uh, that he is the victorious one, and healing will come. That's the thing that you're getting at, Bob. It's like the fullness of what we long for, it will happen. 
And it may happen in this life. God may grant that um, for a season, right? We're all going to die. But the fullness of what we long for, it will come in the new heavens and the new earth. At a period in my life in which I felt that I was suffering in a significant way, um, God used the book of Hebrews in a powerful way, and it's huge, uh, partly because it's written to people who are suffering. It's written, I think, primarily to second-generation uh, Jewish believers who are uh, really experiencing great doubt because of their sufferings. They're suffering because they're followers of Jesus. They're probably already suffering because they were Jews. Now they're suffering even more because they're Jews who are followers of Jesus, and they're like, this isn't worth it. And this isn't real. What's you know? What's the deal here? What's true? And the writer of Hebrews uses the Old Testament to paint exactly the picture of what you're saying, Jeff. That all these great heroes of the faith suffered, and that's exactly what you're going through. So right. don't be surprised by it. Don't be thrown off by it. Accept it as God's way of training you and putting your eyes on Christ. And there is a kingdom that's not going to be shaken. There is a kingdom coming that's going to be everything you long for. It's not here yet. Uh, and Jesus is uh, the greater Moses, the greater uh, you know Joshua, the the greater uh, angel, the greater everything if, out of the Old Testament. He fulfills all those pictures and types. So put your faith in Jesus. Focus on Him. He will get you through this suffering. But don't expect a life without suffering. You know we're we're in the middle of it. Right. But you got to put your eyes on Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> as He says. Yeah. And and. In these two chapters, um, it must be what the wilderness that the Israelites let's just be let's just be uh, favorable to them for a moment. The the suffering that they are experiencing in this wilderness it must be pretty bad because remember where they came from. They were slaves in Egypt, and whatever they're experiencing right now in their hunger and in their thirst and their and their nomad life in this wilderness that they're now in being led by Moses, they're craving that slavery. They're saying only if we could go back there or had we just died there. And so you got to think about that for a second. Like, wow, this, this is like, it's not like, hey, suck it up, Israel. Like, it must be pretty rough. And, and so just to acknowledge that and say, you know what? I'd probably be grumbling and complaining right there with them. And uh, it's easy to sit above the scripture in such a way to look down upon the characters of the word of God and think that I wouldn't be like they are. Uh, when in reality, I, I can only, I can look at my life now and I, I'm absolutely that. And, and I'm not enduring anything like they, like they endured. Um, but how is that true? How do y'all see that being true in us? That we, we find ourselves longing for things that we used to have and not realizing what we have now and not not seeing who we have now is maybe the better way to say it. What are some some thoughts you may have along those lines? So I think one way we could maybe look at this is, you know, if we think about the Exodus, it's a sort of type of the gospel. Like it's given us a picture of the whole gospel story through the narrative of Israel. And they're nostalgic for their life pre-redemption. They're, they're nostalgic for this time in their life when God, they were, they were still slaves in Egypt, they were groaning because of their oppression, but somehow after redemption, now that they are 
in the wilderness, they're beginning to look back on that time and they're getting nostalgic for it. And, you know, as I just, I think about that, I mean, that's sometimes in times of temptation, when things are hard, we think back to our lives before we became Christians that way. Right. Yep. And we, we have these, these moments where, uh, you know, I think of so many of our stories, when you think about when you came to Christ, most of the time life didn't get easier. Right. Uh, it got harder. Uh, it, there's joy, there's freedom, but there's also difficulty and trial, and the whole way of life you had before is no longer open to you because you're following the Lord. Right. And sometimes there's these moments you're like, man, just to be free, and we think it's freedom when really it's slavery, right. which is, again, it's back to the same story. Disguised as freedom, yeah. Is that if I could just go back there because it was so much easier and I was so much happier, and the truth was is, no, you were a slave to sin, you were damned, like you were right, gone. Right. And, and now there's this, uh, the, there, that's the temptation, and it's kind of help, helps us to frame it of going, man, we've been redeemed by a gracious God who has promised to be with us and to supply us through all of these things. Like better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. A thousand in Egypt is nothing compared to one day with you. Right. And, and that should be the heart of the believer, I think. Yeah. And so. that's exactly what they were doing, right, in that, in that first sermon of the series where just drawing out that point of like they're saying, oh, if we could just be sitting around the meat pots again. Yeah. And it's like, wait, hold on. That wasn't your reality. But there's this nostalgic kind of almost romanticizing view of what we used to have that we really didn't. And what we have in Jesus is so much better, but we, in the moment of temptation and weakness, in the midst of the wilderness, we can convince ourselves yeah, they, otherwise. they forgot the bricks without straw. Right, right. <laughs> that that yeah. part conveniently did not make it into their memory. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I... Man, and the baby's getting thrown in the Nile. Yeah, all, the, all that <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah, like, it was all so good for them, right? Yeah. yeah. But we do the same thing. We do the same. I think that's an excellent point, Caleb. Like, you know, we find ourselves in moments of weakness and temptation uh, in the midst of our wildernesses, whatever they may be, thinking, oh, it was so much better. I mean, it's Psalm 73. If you haven't read Psalm 73, that's that's the essence of Psalm 73, where this guy named Asaph is really questioning, why am I following God? The wicked prosper. And all these things seem to be so easy for them, and here I am trying to be godly, and life is hard. And then about, I think it's verse 16 in Psalm 73, Everything pivots when he says, but then I went into the sanctuary of the Lord and I remembered their end. And everything pivots from there to where he says, whom have I in heaven but you? Um, there's nothing on this earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I, I love that because that's, that's all of our temptation. That's all of us, to look at the world around us, to look at those who don't know Jesus and think, man, they've got it really good. But then we go into the sanctuary and we remember their end. We don't want it to be their end. We want to share the gospel so that they can have the same end that we have. But we remember it and we go, okay, this is where this leads. This is where this is going. And the God who rescued me may very well lead me into wilderness, but it's going to end in the promised land. And that's a that's a truth we can hang our hats on. And, and that gets us back to how radically Jesus centered heaven is, and our lives are to be here. Just as you guys preached in the series on heaven, that if you got all these wonderful things about heaven but not have Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. would you want it? Well, the answer should be no, because it should be all about Him that is seeking Him, and we get to see Him, we get to be in His presence in a way we can't hear, and that's the that's the uh, the thing that 
so easily escapes us. In this world, the abundant life that Jesus has promised us is not an, an abundant life in terms of circumstantial ease. It's, it's an abundant life of finding the, the great treasure, the pearl of great price that is Jesus. Right. And when we find him, uh, that's what this whole thing is all about. And so in this life, finding Jesus is uh, a source of joy. It gives, knowing him gives meaning and purpose uh, beyond all these circumstances, but unfortunately, uh, you know, we still have to go through these trials and tribulations, and we would anyway, but God has a way of now using those and redeeming them to help us now get pointed back to Jesus. And our suffering goes deeper if we refuse to keep looking at Jesus. You know, if we're just, instead of uh, instead of seeing my suffering and then letting me, letting those things point me to Jesus, if I just keep insisting on Great circumstances or bad circumstances. I want great circumstances. This is going to be a long life, you know, because God hasn't promised us great circumstances. He has promised to use hard circumstances to keep pointing us to Christ, and He's promised that Christ will satisfy our hearts. But that's the great setup for eternity that Jesus is going to be the one to satisfy our hearts. You would think that a lack of mourning and crying and tears and pain and streets of gold and you know mansions and all that would be wonderful. But if I understand the Bible correctly, what's going to be wonderful about heaven is the presence of Jesus. It's not yeah. those other things. Right. So he's just trying to get us to think the right way here in yeah. terms of what we're going to experience there. Which tells you a, a little bit more about even the way you just framed that, Bob. The glory of Jesus is so enthralling mm. that the streets of gold – and the reality of no pain and no tears and all of those things will pale in comparison to being in the presence of glory, uh, the very one whom we were created for. Um, there's so much more we could talk about. I mean, there's there's even uh, the reality that we could chase after here of that we part of suffering and wilderness is because we get to partake sharers as participants in the sufferings of Christ, right? And that and that there's this reality even as followers of him that um that he's testing us and shaping us and sanctifying us, but we're also getting to live this cruciform life um that he modeled for us. So but uh we'll we'll say that for another day. Uh want to keep these a little more uh, uh short in a, in the way in which uh you as a listener can can listen to them and not feel like you've taken a huge chunk of time there. So anyway, good good thoughts for today. Uh, Digging deeper a little bit more into Exodus as we get into the series. We're going to finish this series out in Exodus uh, 18, 19, and 20. So we'll hit three more chapters going forward before we, uh, we finish our part two of the Exodus series and pick up with part three next fall of 2022. So uh, check out the show notes. Make sure you check out um, our webpage and our app and all the various ways that you can get plugged into Perimeter Church and all the various resources that we offer. Uh, But thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time. 